And today, uh, we're doing something new. We're going to talk about the church, the pillar and ground of truth. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy, later on 2 Timothy, a soldier story. We're going to look at that as well. As I get into this, I want to tell you that uh, today, this first week, I want to establish the fact that doctrine matters in the life of a New Testament church. What we teach matters. And there's a lot of reasons to go to a church and it might get your attention to go to a church, but the scriptures are very, very clear that what we teach matters. The verse of scripture that is the foundation for this whole book is 1 Timothy 3.15. We don't have to wonder why Paul wrote the book to Timothy, his protege. We don't have to wonder about it because he told him this, I write, and it's up on the screen, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. The church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. You say, well, that just sounds real doctriny, you know, real theological, Pastor Phil. And then, you know, can we just get down to something we can really use? Listen, I want to tell you, doctrine matters. It was the first, it was the first order of business for Paul when he wrote to Timothy about the church in Ephesus, and we're going to look at it. I could have called the whole series Order in the Church. So we're going to do this series. I think it's long overdue. We're going to talk about the church of the living God. Churches, the church, serve many purposes, not the least of which is to serve as an outpost of the kingdom of God on earth, where each of us serve as ambassadors to that kingdom. Now, folks, we're not kidding when we say we have dual citizenship, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and citizens of the world in which we live in. How many of you are looking forward to one day being part of the kingdom of God in God's presence in heaven? Raise your hand up. All right. We're citizens of that place, but we belong there. And here we're just on a journey. We're passing through, but that is the place where we belong. And we are to be representatives of that place more than this place. We are ambassadors of that kingdom. So the church uh, serves as an outpost of the kingdom. The church is a refuge for hurting souls to find rest in Christ, to find salvation, the gospel. The church is a training center to train us and to build us up in this most precious faith. The church is a launching pad for gospel endeavors, as we say often across the street and around the world. But Paul told Timothy here in this personal letter, and I'll mention uh, just incidentally, the, the, we call them pastoral epistles today, but in, in the 1750s, a guy renamed them pastoral epistles. But up until, this, up until that time, those three letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, were always called personal epistles. And they're very personal. It's Paul writing to his protege, writing, he as mentor is writing to mentee. He as discipler is writing to his disciple. He as apostle is writing to someone that he has left and given a charge to. And this is a, just a fantastic, fantastic little book uh, that we're going to look at. You know, the church universal has this added as its purpose. Uh, that the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And then churches like this one, local churches have this as our purpose. And if the world is lacking anything today, it is lacking a witness to the truth. Truth unchanging, truth enduring, and truth transforming. Jesus said this, he said, you will know the what? Truth and the truth will set you free, John eight thirty two. So the church 
the church with a capital C in the whole world, the one that doesn't meet every week, and churches with a lowercase c like this one have the same purpose. The church is to be the pillar and ground of truth. And I want to just say this without any, without mincing any words. Churches do not provide, determine, manufacture, manipulate, contextualize, renovate, or update the truth. We have one purpose, disseminate the truth, propagate the truth, tell the truth, hold the truth up. This is what we're supposed to do. We are churches. We are the ground that the pillars stand on. We are the pillars to lift up the truth, the truth of God's greatness, the truth of the incarnate Christ Jesus, and the truth of the Word of God, the Bible. Now, how many of you got one of these this morning? Show it to me. Even if it's electronic, show it to me. Look at all the phones all over this building. That's hilarious. I can't get over that. But here we got, we got the Word of God. We are supposed to hold forth the Word of truth into a world that needs it so desperately. And so Paul writes Timothy. Timothy had been left at Ephesus. We're going to read it in just a moment. Ephesus, this city where he was left, was a, it was a huge city, uh, metropolitan, cosmopolitan, pluralistic city for people from all over the world. It was home to the temple of the pagan deity Artemis, better known in Greek as Diana. This temple had 127 pillars of marble coated halfway up with gold. They were seated on a huge foundation of stone and marble, and they held up the roof housing a, a false god. Supposedly a meteorite had fallen. They had taken it. They had carved gross images on it, a multi-breasted woman. It's just, it was a horrible picture. And they put it in this place. The 127 pillars that were so ornate and richly adorned, the 127 pillars were donated by individual kings from all around the world, showing the expanse of the worship of this pagan deity. Inside this temple and all around it were thousands of temple devotees serving as ritual prostitutes, both men and women. They were serving in prostitution to actually worship this pagan deity. It was considered one of the world's wonders of the time. Timothy, timid Timothy, was left there to serve in Ephesus. And I guarantee you, as Paul was writing, he could not miss the picture. The church where he was serving was holding up the truth in the shadow of the great temple to the goddess Diana. I'm sure he felt overwhelmed and intimidated. I'm sure as he looked at that, he thought, you know, we're such a small voice against such a big tide of evil, and are we going to do any good? But I just want to say something to you this morning. Here we are in the year 2024. Guess what? The temple of Diana is no more, and the church of Jesus Christ marches on. Amen? Amen. The church is indestructible. The church is irresistible. Jesus said this, praise God. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevent, stop, or prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell. We think about that. We think about, you know, mounting up and heading toward the abode of the dead, the wicked dead. We're going to just, what are we going to do? Evangelize in hell? Nope, too late. Once you're dead and gone, that's it. No, 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 the gates of hell. I believe the devil is building gates today. He's building gates, walls at schools, universities, governments, around people group and around children and teenagers and modes of communication and around social media. media. He's building his gates around people to keep them from the gospel and to keep them out of heaven. Well, Jesus says, charge. 
He says they will not prevail. They cannot prevent the gospel. The devil's gates will fall. Now, we don't charge with material weapons. We charge on our knees. We charge with spiritual weapons by prayer and kindness and with unflinching loyalty to the gospel. Now, I'm going to pause and say here this morning and have you do something with me. I have a question. Do we really know how important what we are doing here in this location is? Now, there's wonderful churches all over town, a lot of them that I respect greatly, but I'm responsible, we are responsible for and to this local body of believers. But do we understand the importance and the weightiness of what we are doing here. This is not just a cool place to come on Sunday like a weekend hobby. It's not just a place where we come and greet all the people that we know and have this mutual congratulatory committee where we pat each other on the back and talk about how great we are and how bad the world is. We're not here just to fellowship, just to drink a cup of coffee together and say same time, same station, next week I'll see you again. That, that's not what this is about. This is about something far greater. This place, this, this location, this body of believers is here for this purpose. God has placed us here as the pillar and ground of truth in this location. This is what we are about. We are an assembly of believers at a visible location for the purpose of lifting up the truth, and it is not insignificant. It's paramount. So I want you to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet, and I want you to just do something for me. Stand right up. Take a deep breath, and I want, you to, I want you to, how many of you believe the church of Jesus Christ, which he died for, is important? Say amen. All right, then I want you to say these things with me. Think about this and say these things. First of all, read it out loud. Here we go. We are doing something important here. Yes or no? All right, next. We are doing something that lasts. I mean, that is true, right? It's the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ that we preach to people for the eternal salvation of their soul. We're doing something that lasts. Next, we are holding up the living word, Jesus Christ. He is the word of God in human flesh. We've seen him as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John said. He gave witness to it. We give witness to the word of God. And last, we are holding forth the word of truth, the Bible, and it matters. Say that again, those last three words. And it matters. What we're doing here is extremely important. And I don't want you to miss how important it is. Would you be seated? As we get into this passage today, we're going to see that the warning Paul gave the people of Miletus, or he gave the people of Ephesus, those leaders, has come to pass. He met them on the island of Miletus, and in Ephesians, the leaders of Ephesus, and in this present day that Paul is writing to Timothy, the warning that he gave is already happening. In Acts 20, verse 28, he says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you over seers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Let me stop there before I read the last part. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Who was it that died on the cross? What's his name? Who is Jesus? Oh, the church of God 
who, who purchased the, the, who, the shepherd of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Never deny the deity of Christ. Now, let me keep reading. For I know this, that after my departure, Paul says, after I leave and I'm off the scene, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. You know, the greatest obstacle to the devil's total dominion is the church of Jesus Christ in the world and the truth that it upholds and preaches. The devil relentlessly, he sends and inspires and raises up false teachers to teach false doctrine to first dilute, then deny, then pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is relentless in doing that. Stand up one more time. We've got to read our passage. You're going to get your exercise this morning. Come on. You're not going to be armchair quarterbacks. You're going to do that tonight, but not this morning. So let's stand up. All right. Let's, let's read the word of God together. The words are on the screen and let's read one through 11 of first Timothy chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God, our savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope to Timothy, a true son in the faith grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word. We stand in awe of you today. You are the awesome God, and you have put an outpost on earth called the church. And it is the church of Jesus Christ. It is this local New Testament church and others like it that are your plan for the propagation of the gospel, for the building up of the body of faith, for encouragement among believers to stand against sin, to be the salt and the light. Your a plan, B plan, C plan, D, and as many as you want to mention. Father, your plan for the world is the dissemination and propagation of the truth at local churches like this one. Lord, help us take this so seriously. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I've got shortened time here this morning, and I'm going to really move in through this. My title this morning, Doctrine Matters, I've taken from verse number 10 of the passage that you just read, two little words, sound doctrine. 
sound. That little word sound uh, comes from the root from which we get the word hygiene or clean, orderly. It appears many times in the pastoral epistles, and it means exactly what it says. It, it is sound doctrine. It's healthy teaching, and it works. It produces spiritual life and growth and health. We're talking about hygiene. If you have terrible hygiene, it's not going to produce health and growth. It's going to produce sickness and illness and so on. So it's sound doctrine. Now, I stand in the pulpit this morning and I mention this word and I say we want to talk about doctrine and how it matters and it gives rise to all kinds of thoughts in your mind. I am sure that somebody's out there saying, oh, well, here we go. He said doctrine, boring. I say theology, or I say doctrine, or I say justification, and oh boy, here we go. Doctrine. Somebody says boring. Somebody says dry. Somebody says redundant. Or maybe the idea of unity comes up, and we might hear somebody say, well, you know, doctrine divides, but love unites. We've got all kinds of, you know, bullet point Christianity out there that have a lot of little quips and everything. But the truth is, yes, doctrine does divide. It divides us into saved and lost, sheep and goats, holy and unholy, and much, much more according to the Scripture. But at the same time, doctrine unites. When you use the word doctrine, we're talking about the faithful teaching of the revealed truth of the Word of God. Faithful teaching, faithful uh, uh, preaching and teaching. At the same time, doctrine unites because it gives the foundation of truth upon which we stand in the hope of eternal life. It gives foundation to the truth. It unites us around the truth. Folks, it is very difficult to unite around a lie. It is very difficult to unite around falsehood. No, no, we unite around the truth. And so uh, I've been reading John Stott, one of my favorite writers, writes, uh, he writes this, indeed, one of the chief tenets of pluralism, and that's a big word, he used the word postmodernism, we would call it pluralism today, is that there's no such thing as objective truth, let alone universal and eternal truth, no such thing. On the contrary, everybody has his or her own truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. And they may differ widely from each other, even contradict each other. Nevertheless, they are valid. In consequence, the most prized virtue is tolerance. And it tolerates everything except the intolerance of those who insist that certain ideas are true and others are false while certain practices are good and others are evil. And folks, if you want people to leave you alone in life, do nothing, say nothing, believe nothing, and people won't, they won't bother with you at all. But if you believe anything, you do anything, you say anything, and you have a conviction about anything, you are going to be the target, period. That's all there is to And I don't care what it's about. Just do, say, believe something, and you will be a target. It's interesting to me that the very first order of business, Paul said, Timothy, let's talk about how to, how to have church. Let's talk about how to run the church. Let's talk about what is important. And the very first subject wasn't the music program. The first subject wasn't all of the systems and ideas. that It wasn't, it wasn't any of those things. When you have church, how often you have church, where you have church, whether you have carpet or no, 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 no. It didn't have anything to do with that. First order of business is let get, let's make sure we got the message right. The truth, we want to make sure. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? I'm going to tell you what the most important first thing mentioned. <laughs> Let's, Timothy, I left you there because there's already a lot of false teaching. Another gospel 
other doctrine that is right. So how do we avoid doctrinal dangers in, the, in this uh, 21st century, in the year 2024? How do we do it? Three things. Number one, rec- first of all, recognize God-ordained messengers, verses one and two. Recognize God-ordained messengers. And we're talking about the local church. Paul was an apostle, it says, by commandment. Paul said it in various ways. He was called, commanded, appointed, and ordained by God himself for his ministry. We all know the Damascus Road story in the book of Acts. Uh, We know his story as a Pharisee. He had been a persecutor of the church. We know that in the scriptures, chapter 8 and 9, he was headed to Damascus to seize and arrest believers and to drag them off for trial. But while he was doing it, he saw a great light. Instead of him arresting people, God arrested him. It was extraordinary. It was a unique call, but a call it was. Paul is truly a spiritual giant, but his name means little or small. It's fitting, I think. Listen to this second century writer. He described Paul, and he said, Paul was a man of small of stature with a bald head and crooked legs and a good state of body with eyebrows meeting in the middle and a nose that was somewhat hooked but full of friendliness. Sometimes he appeared just like a normal man, not a so attractive man, and then other times like he had the face of an angel, Paul. He was called by God, our Savior, verse 1. He was called by God, our Savior, and salvation originates with God, folks. The Father, the Old Testament often refers to God as the Savior. Here again, in these pastoral epistles, and several times he is called God the Savior. And I won't belabor it, but John three sixteen is enough to prove it, because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, God's the great engineer. He is the originator of the whole salvation thought, the father. And so we don't have to look any further than that. He was called also by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope, by the father who ordained our salvation and worked it in time past, and by the son who is our hope. He is the blessed hope of the believer. He's coming back. So we've got this past future situation. Here we are in the middle, standing on the foundation of the Father's election, standing on the foundation of our future hope in Christ's return because he chose us in him. Timothy then was the second person that's mentioned here. Paul was an apostle, capital A. He had the office. He was an apostle by command. And Timothy was an apostle, little a, lowercase a, by training. He was a true son in the faith. Only Timothy and Titus are ever called true sons in the faith in the New Testament. We know Timothy. His mother was Eunice. His grandmother was Lois, most probably. They were converted on Paul's first missionary journey. He and Barnabas made their way through their area. And so he and Barnabas' dynamic ministry in the city of Lystra, his survival of the stoning that he received there made an enormous impression Several years later, Paul and now Silas made another trip back there and they visited and Paul was so impressed with Timothy and the growth and the spiritual wisdom that he had that he asked him to join his team. Think of the enormous sacrifice this was for his mother and grandmother because he probably was the one keeping the family keeping the family up in the absence of the father anymore. Timothy was chosen because of his testimony, Acts 16, 1 to 3. He had grown much in the Lord. He had a wonderful testimony among the brethren. And Paul saw it and he asked him, perhaps because John Mark quit 
When they got to Pamphylia, the, the northern coast of the Mediterranean, and he saw those rugged mountains and the hardship ahead, John Mark turned around and went back. Now then he needed someone for John Mark, and he chose Timothy. And he took him with him. Timothy's name means one who honors God. Now, he's the recipient of this letter. And he was given a very difficult task. Timothy. He was recommended by his mentor, Philippians 2.19. Paul's talking about him as he sent him to another place. He said, look, I'm going to send Timothy because I don't have anybody like him who cares for your soul. Most people are thinking about themselves. Timothy's thinking about you. Nobody like him. And then he says uh, he was recognized as well by the elders. 1 Timothy 1.14. The elders recognized the spirit that was in him and the calling of God and they laid hands on him and sent him out. All of this to say that the people who stand and preach and teach and lead people do so by calling and not by self-appointment. I hear this all the time. Well, you don't need a calling to serve God. Just stand up, raise your hand, be a volunteer. Everybody ought to be a preacher. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I think you'll understand that there's something to this idea of not being self-appointed. We used to hear this when I was a kid. My dad used to say it. He said, you know what? Too many preachers today are mama called and daddy sent. The call of God to the gospel ministry is a privilege and it's an enormous responsibility. And how should you look at your pastor and what questions should you ask them? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 says something about this. And I believe Paul wrote Hebrews as well. He said, remember those who rule over you. Listen, those who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Consider them remember them. Then he says something even more bold in verse 17. This is radical in the day and age in which we live. Obey those who have the rule over you. Be submissive. Why? Because they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. I've shared this before and I'm going to share it again. I I don't know what happens to me. I walk in here and I was sitting in the back during the Lord's Supper this morning, sitting back there and I was, you know, butterflies in my stomach and I'm nervous as a cat. Thank God for Brother Mark praying for me every Sunday. He comes back and prays with me before I go to the pulpit and others do. And I know many of you do, but I come sit down on the front row right here waiting to come up here to preach. And I'm, I'm nervous as a cat. I'm scared to death. And I'm thinking, who in the world am I? Why, what, why, why me? I, I'm just a kid from, from West Tennessee, North Mississippi. I'm just a Mississippi mud puppy. Who am I? What, what, why do I have this great privilege? I'm scared to death sitting up there. And I just sit there, Lord, here it is. It's not me. It's you. It's not me, my word. It's your word. And these people need to hear it now help me and it happens between right there and right here because I'm not standing up here on my authority I'm standing up here on the authority of the word of God I believe God called me to do this now listen called not self-appointed Timothy wasn't self-appointed Paul wasn't self-appointed he was called and dear brother uh, if you're thinking if you're a young person you say oh I really like to go into the ministry well I have a question are you ready to give an account for the people that are under your charge, ready to give an account. Now, folks, I can't control the decisions that people make in their life, but I can certainly control the leadership that I give and the message that I preach and, the, and what I stand and say. I can be faithful to the Word of God, and I have to give an account for what I told you. Brother elders that are here this morning, maybe there's another question you need to start asking every candidate for any position at this church, and that's this one. Are you ready, or do you understand the weightiness of this, and are you ready to give an account as a shepherd for the people over whom the Lord is placing you? 
Second thing I want to say this morning is we need to refute self-appointed Scripture twisters. Self-appointed Scripture twisters. Verses 3 to 6 talks about them. I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies and so on. Verse 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. Verse 6, from which some having strayed turned aside to idle talk. Verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Self-appointed scripture twisters. Timothy evidently wanted to accompany Paul to Macedonia. Verse number 3, he wanted to go, but Paul urged him, begged him, please stay. I need you to stay. I've got to go to Macedonia, but I need you to stay. Will you please stay and admonish, teach, encourage, uh, correct. Please make sure that the messages that are being preached and taught and what's happening in the groups, make sure it is the Word of God. Make sure it's true and not false. And so he stayed there. You see, we already looked at Acts 20 where it says that like savage wolves coming to devour, they rise up. And 2 Peter, chapter, 2 Peter and Jude both talk about these false teachers that they sneak in unawares. The devil is continually sending them, raising them. And brethren, I want to say to you, everybody listen, anybody that has any responsibility in teaching, anybody that has any responsibility in choosing teaching material or bringing videos to let people watch or whatever you're doing, let me just say this. False teaching can come in by way of books, teaching resources, videos, guest speaker, or like the founders of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, they can rise up right among us. Did you know that? Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, their founders were in Christian churches, but decided to do something else, became false prophets, and started something completely different. You said, well, don't we need to use materials? Yes, but oh, if you have any question whatsoever, come to somebody with some experience, one of the elders, some of the pastors, let them look at it and make sure that this is sound teaching. These self-appointed scripture twisters, they desire to be teachers, verse number seven, desiring to be teachers. What do they desire? Well, they desire a following. Acts 20, 30 says that they desire to make disciples of themselves and not of Christ. Let me just say, beware of any teacher. I don't care if they're on the radio, on the television, on your podcast or whatever you call these things. Beware of any teacher that has to have his brand, his logo, his image, and his name on everything he does. He's making merchandise out of you. They don't know what they're talking about is the second thing. Look at verse number seven, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They don't know what they're talking about. That doesn't keep them from saying it loud and long with clever one-liners, using the latest technology with lots of people clapping for them. Again, Titus 1.11, they are making merchandise of you, looking at you as a fountain of gain. They don't know either the purpose of the teaching and preaching. Look at verse number five. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. The great commandment and the renewed commandment in the New Testament is the commandment to love God and love other people. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? I told you last week, he was told, he, he told them to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbors as, as themselves. And he said, and on, on these two, you can hang all the other laws. 
to teach people to love each other. John 13, 34, Jesus said the new commandment was the old commandment. Love one another. Now, you can't fabricate it. You've got to be born again, and God's got to pour out his love by the Holy Spirit in your heart, Romans 5, 5. But it's to love one another, teach people. The point of preaching is not to raise more questions, to create debate, and to argue about myriad issues. It is to help people grow in love with a pure and holy heart, with a clear conscience. Conscience is clear and with a sincere faith. That is a faith based on what God said and not on novelties or what's happening lately or the bents of the culture. No, 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 no. Teach what God has said. Pastor, why do you call them scripture twisters? Why do you say that? That's exactly what Peter called them in 2 Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16. He's talking about the teaching of Paul and he said, and then there are some untaught and unstable people who twist to their own destruction and they do the same thing with the rest of the scriptures. Scripture twisters. The Bible says that the goal and the purpose is love. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says that we're supposed to meet together, not quit and meet together. Keep coming, keep showing up so that we can motivate, stir up and encourage one another to what? To love and to good works. The purpose of the commandment, the purpose of the teaching, the purpose of the ministry, the purpose of, is to teach us to love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have, what is it? By this will all men know you are my disciples if you have. You say, well, I don't like brother so-and-so. Well, repent. I didn't say you had to be chums, but we have to love even our enemies. Or am I creating that? Jesus said, love your enemies. I've got to finish. Reject additions, subtractions, or changes to the gospel. Reject additions, subtractions, or changes to the gospel. When you come to church, hear a sermon, sit in a class, engage in a Bible study, or do individual discipleship, clarity and growth are the goal, not debate. False teachers love to teach in a way to create questions. True teachers teach in a way to clarify the truth. So important. What do they do? Well, they like to investigate myths. I'm not going to show you. I had them that we're going to put up there, but you got a list on the back of your sheet there. Look at it, the most popular myths of the day. They trace genealogies. Why? Because they're more interested in religious pedigree than they are the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Religious pedigree. There's a story out of the second century that there was a group of Jews uh, that got together and started tracing all of the genealogies. They were even Christians, but tracing their genealogies, and they actually gave names to the 70 that left, Ju- left Judah and went into Egypt. They gave them names and then gave their family names and tried to trace themselves back to these people. Listen, boy, you're not accepted in God's presence on some physical heritage. You're accepted on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. This is so important. Tracing genealogies, they sidestep godly edification. It's not their goal. They just want followers. They love idle talk. The King James Version says vain jangling. (laughs) Let's just look into what they're saying out there. Let's just talk about it. They love debate. They love disputes. They love arguments. What's the worst thing they do? And they add the law to grace. They don't know the purpose of the law. The law is good and perfect, but it's not capable of saving us. The law can only show us how lost we are. Romans 3, 19 says, by the works of the law will no flesh be justified in his sight. 19 and following. This is so important. 
The law is good and perfect, but it's not capable of saving us. We must use the law lawfully. That is, as it is intended. And the law has three functions. To condemn sinners and drive them to Christ. We look at the law of God and we recognize our sin and are motivated and convicted to come to Jesus for salvation. It is to restrain evildoers in the world and set some mark of what is right. It is to teach and admonish believers toward holiness. Anybody that just turns their nose up at the laws and regulations of God and says that doesn't apply, I can lie all I want to and I can curse all I want to, you just, you have no clue. Notice the couplets that are listed here in verse number nine. The law is not made for a righteous person, for the, but for the lawless and insubordinate. In other words, you know, the, the, the propensity and the increase of wickedness in the world creates a need to keep making laws in the world, doesn't it? More and more laws because there's more and more evil. All right, now watch. The law is for the lawless. That is, they have no authority. Insubordinate. They're rebellious. They're ungodly. They have no thought for God. They are sinners. That is, transgressors. They are unholy, unseparated to God. Profane. Every, they just stomp on God. And all of these says, they are murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Manslayers. They are fornicators or adulterers. They are sodomites. You say, Pastor Phil, can you even say that word in this time that we live in, in 2024? Can you even say that? And get away with it. Listen, as long as something is in the Word of God, I'm going to preach what the Bible says. For kidnappers, you say, what's that about? How about human traffickers? For liars and perjurers, Uh uh-oh. Liars is just two words away from sodomite. If there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, what he's saying is, is that And if you want to go and check, you can see that that is really a recapitulation of the Ten Commandments. If you read it carefully and think about it, the law was given to show us what we need, not to save us, but to show us how bad we need to be saved according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which committed to my my trust. So they loved us, but they liked to add law to grace in simple terms. They almost always, these false teachers teach that you can work your way to God or at least help God save you. And folks, if you're here this morning, you think you're behaving your way into God's good pleasure. We ought to behave because we're believers, but you're not going to become part of God's family just because you try to turn over a new leaf. It's not going to happen. That's not how you get saved. They're guilty of teaching another doctrine, another gospel, as Galatians puts it. They have another Jesus. Folks, I want to end by saying there's no other way, no other gospel, no other book, and there's no other Jesus. We have to preach the truth. So, Pastor Phil, can't we just say goodbye to the Old Testament law because we're not under the law but under grace? Listen to what Warren Wiersbe wrote, and I just got to read this quickly. Law and gospel go together. For the law without the gospel is diagnosis without remedy. But the gospel without law is the good news of salvation for people who don't believe they need it because they've never heard the bad news of judgment. The law is not gospel, but the gospel is not lawless. Ah, Let's finish this way. There are three things I'm going to put up on the screen. They're on your sheet as well. I just want to ask you a question and let you apply this in your own heart. What level of importance does the church of God, the pillar and ground of truth, occupy in your life? Is it just a weekend hobby? Is it just a place to meet up with friends? Is it a fellowship center? Of course, that's part of it, but that's not what it's about. 
Are we faithful? Do we look at it with faithful attitude to attendance, to engage, serve, to give, to promote it, and to pray for it? Next question, does the truth and the, the, does the truth, the knowledge and propagation of it figure in your choice of church? Or is it about something else? Is it about how cool they are, how up to date they are, or what kind of, what kind of facilities they have? Is it, is, it, is it about the music? Is it about the programming? Is it about some class they have on Monday afternoon? No, no, no. It, it, it's about the truth. Do they teach and preach and tell the truth of the Word of God? Do you pray for your pastors as they watch out for your souls and have to give an account for you to God? The purpose of this instruction is love. I pray that we as a church are motivating people to love and to good works, to honor the God of the gospel and the gospel of God. I pray that that's what we're doing. Father, please work in our midst. Draw us to yourself. Motivate this church to perpetually, not just because I'm standing here, but it doesn't matter who's standing here. I pray that this church would be dedicated as the pillar and ground of truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.